start twitching at 11.59, then tap the person on the shoulder and ask for some prayer. <laughs> Good to see you all this morning. Although it's a bit dark in here. So, um, yeah, w- w- we're starting a new series. Do you like those slides? Thanks, Rich. And remember, we talked last week, and this whole next seven weeks or so, um, you, you know, are really focusing on God's Word and the overarching story. Why? Because we wholeheartedly want adherence to the Bible as God's Word. Yeah, we wholeheartedly want to do that. So, um, over the summer, we're looking at the overarching theme of the Bible. We want to show that the Bible has one story. I love the video. It's one story with one author, authored by God. And we're not going to spend a lot of time, you know, but have a look at 2 Timothy 3.16. Yes, there were 40 different authors penned over 2,000 years, but it's inspired, not inspired, and authorised authorized by God. You know, they, 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 their characters come through, but it's like God. God is, is, is just energising it. And I love it sometimes, not that I'm writing scripture, you know, but sometimes I'm writing stuff and going, oh my goodness, this is so good, it can't be me. Yeah, and it's almost like God is just, he's just bringing it alive. But it is one book with one author, Father God, and it points to Jesus. In, in every way, it points to, to Jesus. The Old Testament points to the promise of Jesus to come. It is part of the story, the promise without the fulfillment. The New Testament demonstrates that the Old Testament promises have now been fulfilled in Jesus. Amen? In Jesus. Jesus is all the way through the Bible. It, it's as though they knew he was coming even before we did. Of course, they did. And we're going to pick up a theme called, that, that called you know, we're going to pick up the theme, the kingdom of God. There's lots of different themes that people have drawn out in looking at the overarching um, themes in the Bible, the covenant, the promises. We're going to look at the kingdom of God. Vaughan Roberts has written a short book called God's Big Picture, and we're going to use some of his framework. We'll do it in SCF's own unique style and way. And he's written a book, and there's some DVDs, and there's, there's some bits that we like, and there's some bits that we're not sure about. Yeah, But his overarching theme follows the, the kingdom, and he defines it in this way. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's land, under, and it should say under and enjoying, under and enjoying God's rule, and blessings. And I want you to keep that in your mind because it's something that we'll pick up because it changes. As we'll start to see in Genesis under the pattern that God laid down, that was it. God's people were there, they were in his land and they were enjoying his blessing and rule. But God's people in God's land under God's rule and blessings, the kingdom of God. And that's where God started and that is where God seeks to finish. It's the same story, it's the same plan. And just so you know, I'm not talking, when I say story, I'm not talking about a novel. This is non-fiction. Yeah, I believe this book. I believe it. There are some bits, and we'll come on to it, and I just go, whoa, I don't get it. I don't have a paradigm for that 
piece of scripture, but if it's in there, it's God's. It's God's. So we're going to be telling the story. There will be an element of narration. We're going to go at some pace. Yeah, we won't cover every sub-story, nor will we focus on every character. Oh, but I really was waiting for the story of Joseph. No, 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 no. We're up here. We will go deeper on some aspects, but we're trying to show. No, we're not trying. We're showing how this is one story, traveled throughout of 2,000 years of time and more, and continues into, as God's church is still here, waiting for the complete establishment of his kingdom. So we're going to start. Let's just have a look. I've got a little bit ahead. Um, we can read Genesis in many different ways. We can read it literally as poetry, as, or we can even read it allegorically. I see a little bit of all the different styles in the way the book was written. However, all the different views, they all agree that it is God's word and it is God's truth. And God saw that everything that he makes in this time as good and as right, they all see it as God's word, even if they see some of the things as images, as allegories, as poetry, but we still see it as God's word. Hey. Amen. So Genesis 1 and 2, there isn't time to read that out here. But we all see over each day, he, day 1, the heavens and the earth, light and dark. Day 2, there was waters, there was land. Then there was days and seasons, there was animals. And on day 6, there was mankind. And God saw, it actually says, God saw that it was very good. God saw that it was very good. And each of those, it kind of ends with, so the evening and the morning and the first day and the second day and the third day and the fourth and the fifth and the seventh day. But interestingly, on the seventh day, God rested. God had done all the creation that he was going to do. He planted, he planted, he'd placed Adam and Eve in the garden and he gave them responsibility to look after his creation. We are God's stewards. We are God's ambassadors. He's placed us here under his authority to speak on his behalf. Wow. Genesis 2, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Every other day had ends with ends a morning and an evening and the day ended there was an evening and there was a morning and the second day but no end is recorded to the seventh day now this is interesting i'm very comfortable on these being literal days but actually some also see these days as periods of time and if there's ever a, a, a kind of a bit of a hint that these could be periods of time is that the seventh day the day of rest has never ended God still wants to draw us into his rest. Amen? It doesn't mean we don't work. <laughs> it doesn't mean we don't do things. God had ceased his time of creation and was now enjoying. If God ceased to work, everything would fall apart. He holds things together unseen. Matthew eleven thirty. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus speaking. And a yoke was this this contraption that put two oxen together and they would match up two oxen, two oxen for what? To plough, to work. 
There's still things to do. But isn't it wonderful that we can enter into his rest? And I just wonder that quite often, that we find, if we find the yoke difficult or the burden heavy, quite often for me i found when I've started to take God's work and do it in my own strength or take the things that are for him to do and own them as myself. That's when I find the yoke difficult and the burden heavy. God planted Adam and Eve in the garden. And Genesis 2, 4 to 25 shows us what the rest of it looks like with a huge focus on humanity. God's design for the world is described, one might say, is the pattern of the kingdom through relationship. Right here, back in the garden, we made in his image, the pattern of the kingdom is relationship. Perfect relationships between God and mankind. God places them in the garden and provides for all their needs. All their needs are met. Go. Go and, go and enjoy. Go and be fruitful. Go and multiply. Adam and Eve are given a great responsibility, though. Under God's rulership, they submit to it. It's not difficult. It's not hard. The rule is not oppressive. It is for their good. To that end, he uses one prohibition which is designed to protect them. Do not eat of the tree. One prohibition under this perfect relationship between God and man. Men and women Adam and Eve are under perfect relationship. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no shame. They're naked. Let's not beat around the bush. They've got no clothes on. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's complete intimacy in the broadness of what that means. There is perfect relationships between man and woman. Mankind and creation, they obey God. Genesis 2 15, and all creation works in harmony. It is idyllic. It is perfect. Stop. We, we use that word so often, but we've never come across it. It is perfect. God's relationship with man, men's relationship, mankind's relationship with one another, and mankind's relationship with the responsibility they have with creation, it is perfect. So where are we? God's kingdom, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people are Adam and Eve. God's place here right then in this continent here on now is the Garden of Eden. And they're enjoying God's rule and blessing through perfect relationships. Perfect relationships. That's the pattern of the kingdom. God's people in God's place, enjoying and experiencing his rule and blessing. Do you know this great security? Claire and I, as parents of our house, provide huge security for our children. I'll say it. They come under our rule in this context. Yeah, there's bedtimes. We've negotiated slightly later now that the summertime is up, but we will be returning back to the normal times in September. But there's rules. Tell me about it, yeah? Is anybody left? No, no. There's rules, and actually that creates a great freedom and security 
and I cooked three times this week. It nearly killed me. By Friday, I was in a bad place, and I needed prayer. I provided for them. Keep on track, Ben, you haven't got time. God's perfect kingdom. God's people, where he wants them, enjoying his rule and blessing. Amen. Amen. If only it would stay that way. If only it had stayed that way. My goodness, we'd all be naked now. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. We get to chapter 3, and it all just goes terribly wrong. We have the introduction of the snake. Well, where where did he come from? We have the, where did evil come from? The Bible doesn't tell us. Oh, isn't that really annoying in where we want to know everything, where we want to understand everything? The Bible says, hey, I mean, I read it and I say, God, if you needed me to know, you'd have told me through your word. Later on, the Bible clearly denotes that the snake is Satan. But where did evil come from? Not from God. Not from God. Why? Because God is absolutely sovereign. We've just looked at that. He created a world and it was completely good. Not just good, but very good. I mean, the scripture puts that in. He must have been absolutely chuffed for himself. I hope he wasn't proud. <laughs> you know, but oh man, this just works so well. This is very good. He created everything and it is complete in him under his control. Now listen, there is sometimes an error that Satan is the opposite and therefore equal to God. Or Jesus at least. Some, you know, Satan is Jesus' brother. That, that's wrong. That's wrong. There is no equal to God. Satan is not God's opposite. Satan was a created being. Therefore at some point he must have been good. Um, I'm moving on. God is holy and good, never responsible for evil. Le- Leviticus, I, I personally picked the Old Testament ones. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore, you, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. We don't like the book Leviticus, yet where do we get be holy as I am holy from? We want to do away with lots of bits in the book of Leviticus, but look at that. Exodus 34, 6, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. God is good. God is absolutely loving. Psalm 86, 5, and 5 again, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. For you are good. So where did evil come from? We can be sure it ain't God. It ain't God. So we can be sure evil did not come from God. The New Testament points towards the rebellion against God. Satan was part of the original perfect creation, but he then rebelled against God. He then rebelled against God. I will read this out. I wasn't sure if I would. Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And 
The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, so also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. God exercised his rule in the garden by his word. And as we understood a couple of weeks ago, that's right where Satan begins his attack. Did God not say? Did God not say? Satan twists God's word. He misrepresents it for, for his own good. For his own good. And we see him doing it here. Satan distorts God's word. Did God really say? Did he really say that? He puts a question and a doubt. Eve puts him right. Yes. He continues. Satan questions God's word. You you will not die. You will not die. You will not die. Satan perverts God's motives. He makes it out to be as though he's a big spoil sport. He's withholding from you. There's all this stuff. There's all this stuff that you could have because God knows you will be like him. Satan distorts God's word, questioning God's word and perverts his motives. He plants questions. What is truth? I mean, gosh, how, how huge is that? How huge is that? I've written some more down. You will not die. Really? But I thought God said that we would die. So what's true now? What's true? What is right? It's okay to eat the fruit. But God said that we shouldn't eat the fruit. God said it was right to refrain from eating this fruit. Satan said it was right to eat it. What is right? And the biggest question, who am I? God made them in his image. Satan told them they could be God. Who am I? And what what is deeply, deeply sad is they already had it all. God had done everything. Everything, and yet with a couple of sentences, it confuses, distorts, twists, plants questions and doubts. He continues to do that today. Isn't that a huge question right now? What is truth? What is right? Who am I or who I am? Those questions we are still struggling today. In essence, Satan is declaring God's word isn't clear, isn't true, and isn't fair. It's just not fair. He has been making the same claims ever since. Can you see now how God's word is despised outside of his church when a huge moral driver is it must be fair? Your God is not fair. That's what Satan is echoing back here, and he does it now. 
What's the big deal? It's only fruit. His tactics work. Eve and Adam take the fruit and eat. This has been called the fall. Why? Well, it leads to a spoiling of God's perfect creation. It's like red wine on your best white tablecloth. Ruined before Daz came along. Ruined. Okay, what's the big deal? It's only fruit. This was not about law breaking. It's good to know right from wrong. This was not what this was about. Because personally, it should be enough. If God said it, I'll do it. If God said no, and that's what we need to see recreated back in his church. If God says, I'll do. But we want to know why. Well, what's the doctrine and where's that come from? And was that man and was there ever a different view and can you interpret it differently? The Bible was written to be read. God said. This is not about law breaking. They wanted to be law makers. I actually wrote they wanted to be law-making, law but it didn't sound right. This was not about breaking the law. This is not just law-breaking. What they were saying is an act, is an act that they want to be a law-maker. I want to decide what is right and wrong over my life. God said no. I've decided it's Yes. I want to decide what's right and wrong. I want to decide. I want to come out of that protection. All of a sudden that rule felt heavy and oppressive because they've taken on God's responsibility and are doing it for themselves. I want to decide what's right and wrong over my life. Oh my word, isn't that the biggest battle in our society today? I want to decide. And unless I agree with it, I won't let anyone else decide for me usurping God's authority and establishing their own. This is huge. This is devastating. This is crippling. This is the fall. This is called sin. This is called sin. How do you define sin? Sin is any failure or conform to the moral law of God Hold on. (laughs) Sin is any failure to conform, to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, and nature. Let me say it again because the slide's wrong. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, and nature. Acts. Stealing. We're happy that that's not right. Would we challenge somebody if they stole? Would we challenge somebody if they stole? It's breaking the, the law. Whose law? Interesting, we'd be more comfortable to challenge people when they break society's law. That's just a thought. Murder, we agree that that's a sin, yes? Sexual immorality, all of these things are acts that are wrong and sinful. Attitudes, pride, hate, jealousy, lusts. We see this right back in the Ten Commandments. Jesus affirms it also on the Sermon of the Mount. Anger or lust have no place in God's moral code. So here we see that a desire to steal or to commit adultery is also a sin in his sight. Do you see that? 
A life pleasing to God has moral purity in actions and in the desires of the heart. So, if what your heart desires is not within God's moral framework, it is... Let me say that again. If what your heart desires is not within God's moral framework, it is a sin. The greatest commandment of all is to fill your heart, is to fill your heart with love. Mark 12, 29 to 31, and the greatest commandment is this, that you will love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Sin is acts against God's moral law, attitudes against God's moral law and nature. This bit is so important. And you may think, oh, flipping heck. But we have to get this because sometimes I think we've forgotten it. Nature, the internal character that is the essence of who we are as a person. This too has become sinful. When Adam and Eve ate of the apple and disobeyed God's law and said, I want to make laws for myself, it changed their very nature. Psalm 51.5 out of the NLT says this, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. I may have had no coherent thoughts. I have not done any acts. But there's a nature that's been passed down within me that actually says I'm sinful. And we have to remember that because you're so thrilled to have this beautiful baby boy. Trust me, my mom was over the moon when I was born. She thought I was the most beautifulest baby she had ever seen, even though I had a pointed head. She said, we put a hat on it, it was a knitted one for my grandma, I looked like a pixie. But she says, you were beautiful. But that nature had been passed down. Romans talks about it through one man's sinful act, all have sinned. The best way I can describe it is like something has gone genetically wrong at that level. We understand that. We understand that genetics are passed down. We understand that. And actually, sometimes it's good when, when my children look like me. Sometimes it isn't good when something else. <laughs> yeah, there can be bad things. Yeah, if I'm born with one leg shorter than the other because that was generational, then that's something that was not quite right. And we understand that. And what we have to see is there is a nature within us that is there that actually, it doesn't, if that isn't dealt with, it doesn't matter what our acts are like, what our thoughts are like, if the sin nature is still there, you can have a good person in the eyes of society who is doing completely good acts, giving all their, anyway, feeding the poor, having good, humble, righteous attitudes. But when the sin nature is still in there, they're sinners. And you see, it's the sin nature that's dealt with that allows my acts, that allows my attitudes to be completely pure. Yes, there is a battle. Paul talks about the battle in the flesh because this flesh, it's as though it is still linked to this world that is falling away. But the enemy is completely born again. Amen. You were born this way. Again, society says, this is how I was born. God says you were reborn a better way. And actually, your body may still be decaying. 
This body will die. There is a war going on within me against sin. That's why I need a new resurrected body. But my spirit and my soul is born again. There is no sin nature within me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Where are we going? So they've sinned. God has just done all of this. He's provided everything for them all laid out for them and they've just thrown it back in its, his face. Adam and Eve have just, it's, it's as though they've spat in God's face. This cannot be allowed. God's very nature demands that there is a consequence for their actions. Sometimes science gets it right. Although if, if I really want to do it, it says every action has an equal weighted reaction. I believe what Jesus did on the cross in, in, in fulfilling all of our sin outweighs, more than outweighs, the sins that we have committed. But there's a point there, isn't it? For every action, there's a reaction. And you see, God will not work against his nature. I love Blackadder. If you're in your 40s, um, you may know and remember, some of you may have chosen not to watch them, I didn't choose not to watch them, and I did. And I just thought they were hilarious. And Blackadder II, they're in Elizabethan times, and she's the queen. And, and she's got a very dear, dear, deep friend who's committed an act against the state. And the penalty for that act is for him to be beheaded. And she doesn't want it. Everything within her wants her friend to be saved. And she sits there and says, Oh, my Goodness, I can't change this without unravelling the last 400 years of the way our British society has been put together. This is how we work. And it made me think of God. You see, God won't work against himself. God is a God of justice. Boy, do we like justice, providing it's not against us. There is a sin, there is a crime that has been committed and God's law says there is a consequence for the crime. We find that really hard. And in the New Testament and right now, every time we sin, there is a consequence for our sin that Jesus had to pay for on the cross. He had to pay for it. And when we continue to sin... I think it's one John says that we have an advocate who, who talks to God on our behalf. If you actually look deep into that, it's as though Jesus is having to explain to God why we continue to sin while we don't have the sin nature within us. Wow, that's heavy. I've gone off though. That's a point for a different time. They cannot be allowed. God's very nature demands that there are consequences for their action. Every, even science, agrees with that. God acts in judgment. God acts in judgment. And I cut one too many slides out here. Adam and Eve are soured. Coverings are made. Shame is felt. Blame is given. God says to the Eve, your desire will be for your husband. Not only desire for him but if you look deeper it's to want what he had the battle of the sexes started right there your desire will be for your husband you will want what he has and you will work and push and push 
and he will rule over you. The battle of the sexes started there. Humans and the world, there'll be a struggle to live on the earth. Humans and God, they turn away in rebellion. God turns away from them in judgment. The warm friendship is destroyed. God still draws near and calls out. Adam! Adam! Where are you? As if he didn't know. As if the all-seeing, all-knowing God didn't know. But he realized something had happened. And God still calls out to mankind now. Adam! Adam! Where are you? And he plants his church here to declare it loud and wide. Because he wants to call them back. Right in the point of rejecting, they've rejected God. God still seeks relationship with them. They hide from him. In God's grace, he continues to seek after sinful humans. He still does today. Amen. He provides the hope of a saviour. They have just spat in God's face. They have just thrown back everything he has done for them, given them and said to them, I want to do it my way. Even in the light of this, God's grace extends to them. This is God speaking to Satan now, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right there, the promise of Jesus. Right there, it'll come. It'll be an offspring from Adam and Eve ultimately. We see later on the line of David and he will bruise your head. And it's even clear that actually Satan will even bruise and wound him. This wounded saviour, this wounded offspring will come and restore and make all things new. Right at the beginning, God gives this hope. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Genesis 3, 21, also for Adam and his wife. The Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. He killed an animal, signifying the shedding of the blood. And even now he recognises their shame. And he doesn't want them to feel shame, even though they will almost eternally. He covers them. He covers them. Even there, God seeks to take away their shame. This is a loving God who has to respond to a crime that's just been committed. And then it says he drove them out of the garden. Get out! Get out! Get out! All because of a desire to get what they already had. They already had everything they needed. They were already like God as his image bearers. They were deceived and they chose to act against what they knew and they were judged for it. Again, I really tried to cut down the slides. So where are we with God's kingdom? God's people? There aren't any. Complete broken relationship in God's place. No, they're barred. They put a cherubim at the foot of the Garden of Eden so no one can come in. And because of broken relationship, they're no longer enjoying God's rule and blessing. They've got to work hard now at living. What was so perfect just one chapter ago is now smashed. Is now smashed. But God always gives that hope. Jesus is right there in Genesis 2, in Genesis 3. The hope of a saviour, God's grace. 
The story continues. Cain and Abel are born. We soon have the first murder. In, um, in Genesis 8, we have, no, 6, we have Lamech who takes two wives. We now start to see women as property to be accumulated. The wickedness continues to grow and grow and grow. And there is a cycle. And there is a cycle of God giving them opportunity to come back. And they're moving away. And God responding. God judging them. But again, giving them an opportunity. Until there's so much. He says the only way to move forward is to cause the flood. A completely good, completely holy God. I have to sit there and say, God knew what he was doing. And God weighed everything up and said, this is what I need to do. Some scholars have talked about that without the law, actually potentially they couldn't be judged by the law. Paul teaches that it's the law that points out our sin. And at this point there was no law. So maybe that they all made it. But God had to remove them. But even then he still, he still provides a way out. I think that's one of those scriptures I don't have a paradigm for. I don't have a place to put. God was sorry he made man. In the all-knowing, all-seeing, I just don't know what to make of it. And I imagine Moses writing it and stopping and just putting his pen down with his quill and just probably weeping in the enormity of that statement. The flood. God saves a family. God shows them. We saw it in the video. He points to Jesus being the saviour in the ark and saves them. But the sin cycle starts all over again and again and again till you get to the Tower of Babel when the desire is, I want to be like God. I want. It's still the same sin in the garden. I want what God has. We want to get up to the heavens. We want to declare a name for ourselves. The sin cycle goes on and on again. There's a consistent pattern of man going their own way. There's a consistent pattern of God responding. When we get onto the prophets, not only do they declare that the troubles they're in is because God has judged them, they also point to the hope. They point to a way out. They point to a future. God calls them back to himself again and again and again. I remember when we did his story, you just start to see this cycle again and again and again. God calling them back to him. Consistent pattern of man going away. God responding And coming back again and again and again. There's ever something I want to go away with. And as we tell a story, some weeks it kind of ends where it ends. It's like when you get a trilogy and you get the difficult middle film. (laughs) Yeah. And the story goes on. But here we end and I want you to look at and grapple with the nature of sin. And really see and understand how actually the only solution, that's not the right word, the only answer for this nature of sin that is within us is Jesus Christ. 
It's like, it's like realising you've got the most terminal illness and there's nothing that can be done. The utter despair that we should be in for those that don't know Jesus and realise the sin nature is within them. Do you understand why it's so good when we talk about what Jesus has done? Do we understand why it's such good news? Imagine living for 10, 20, 30 years knowing that you're going to die, knowing that there's this disease within you and there's no way out there's no escape and then all of a sudden somebody says here you go he died on the cross your sin nature is obliterated coming in children I am wrapping up next week the story continues and you will look at the covenants of God God's promises Abraham, Jacob and it continues on and on and on how God is seeking to call a people his very own, to establish them in a place that is his, under his rule and under his blessing. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning you will have revealed us, revealed to us more of your nature, that we have been reminded of your goodness, of your holiness, that you are absolutely sovereign of all. Lord, and, and we've looked at the tragedy of sin and the fall as we threw back everything that you had given us, Lord. But we hold on. We hold on to the promise that you have given us right there. We hold on to the seed that will come ultimately from Eve that paid the price, that has completely dealt with the sin nature that is within us. Father, we thank you for your promise, for your Son, for your Word. In the name of Jesus, Amen.